If you were here last week, we kind of got to do this thing where we had all of the the people um, who are on the leadership team here kind of do a panel discussion. So there was eight guys that are um, kind of responsible for the, to guide, to shepherd, to oversee the greenhouse. And we kind of did a panel discussion. And it was, to me, it was a really cool day. And my hope is if you were here that, um, that you saw that the guys who are, who are tasked with that, who's given that God-given responsibility, are really just trying to seek the Lord. Just rely on him to lead us, and we just simply want to follow. And more than anything, we desire to be a place that just sees people become followers of Jesus. And so that's what last week was. Well, this week, we're, we get to celebrate with some baptisms. If you hear that little, little rustling noise, it's the, the jets in there to keep it warm. Um, I thought we should keep it cold, but I don't think the people would have appreciated that. Um, I thought about teasing and saying, like, that the heater broke, but we're still going to go through with it, but I decided not to. So in any case, um, what we're going to do today, though, is we're going to have a, a kind of a, a break, broken up sermon about Acts chapter 16 to 18. We've been going through the book of Acts, and what has happened so far in the book of Acts, it kind of, even all the way back further, the very beginning of the Bible, God creates everything, and then there's a fall, and then everything's pointing forward to someday something needs to happen, and it's that Jesus will come. And we already, before Acts, Jesus has died, he has risen again, he um, has presented alive, and he's ascended into heaven. And from there, these followers of Jesus begin sharing all about who he is with everybody. They're becoming his witnesses. But they become persecuted by the Jews and especially by a guy by the name of Saul. But what is so cool is God reaches down, plucks up Saul, and Saul becomes a follower of Jesus who too is witnessing, telling about this Jesus. And then he becomes persecuted. Um, but he and another guy named Barnabas, they, they make this missionary journey to tell people about Jesus and then they eventually split up. And then that was the last time two weeks ago. And then this time today picks up where Paul goes on his second missionary journey, and he takes a guy by the name of Silas with him. And what happens is he also pick up Timothy and Luke along the way, and their goal, what they're doing, why they're going on these, this missionary journey is they really desire to strengthen the churches. And so the Holy Spirit's leading them, guiding them of where to go, where not to go, and it's just this cool thing of seeing God through the Spirit leading people. And then we get into Acts chapter 16, and we see the same thing, Acts chapter 16 to Acts chapter 18, the same thing happens three times. And if you know much about um, the Bible, or if you really have ever researched or studied how to study the Bible, which kind of sounds funny to study how to study, but, but if you do, it really talks about like looking for repetition. And so as we're going through the book of Acts and Acts chapter 16 to 18, like I said, I see the same thing happen three times, and it kind of sticks out at me. And what we see three times is that someone gets baptized along with their entire family. And you really don't see that very often in the Bible. In fact, I can only think of two other times where you see that. So we have three times where people get baptized um, along with their whole families through the book of Acts, Acts 16 to 18. The first one is a woman named Lydia. She's a seller of purple goods. And she is hanging out, and she hears Paul speaking, and it says that the, the, the Lord allowed her to pay attention. So she pays attention, and she believes, and she's baptized with her whole family. It's just this cool picture that her and her entire family get baptized together. From there, long story, but Paul and uh, Silas get thrown in jail. And there they are, they're in jail and they're even in stocks, like their feet are fast. I don't know if it's like the ball and chain, different than the wife, you know, but the ball and chain that 
connected to your leg or if it's solitary confinement. I don't know what it is. You're, you're not Paul and Shane. Um, but they're, they're in prison. They're in jail and they're, they're in, their feet are in stocks. And then um, they're just praying and singing hymns. Which, like, just side sermon here. Like, if I'm in jail, I don't know if I'm just going to be praying and singing hymns. But there they are. They're in jail praying and singing hymns. And then there's an earthquake. And the earthquake happens, and the, all the cell doors open, and the stocks around their ankles open. And so the jailer comes to, and he's like, uh-oh, what's going on here? Well, not one person leaves the jail. They're all intrigued as to what Paul and Silas are singing about and saying. Again, if, it, if it's me, I think I'm out of there, right? The, it opens, I'm done, but, but they stick around. And the jailer, realizing that all of the, the cells are open, all the stocks are off, he, I'm sure, thinks people have escaped, and I'm going to be tortured for this. So he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do anything to yourself. Don't harm yourself. And what happens from there is the jailer takes them out of the cell and cleans their wounds. And during that time, he asks, what must I do to be saved? And Peter, excuse me, Paul says, believe and be baptized. And it says that he and his whole family believed, and then they were baptized. And again, you see this awesome picture of people as a family getting baptized. And then from there... Um, the jailer takes them back to jail. And again, an amazing picture of being taken out, but then put back in. And they're put back in because they, ha they have a reason, right? And so from there, we go on into Acts chapter 18, and they go and they meet this guy by the name of um, Crispus, who is the synagogue ruler. And they're telling about Jesus, and he believes, and he's baptized along with his whole household. It says that he believed with his whole family, and that they were baptized. So throughout Acts chapter 16 to 18, we see Lydia, we see the jailer, and we see the synagogue ruler believe and be baptized. And like I said, as far as I can remember, in the whole Bible, there's only two other instances where an entire family gets baptized. The first one is Acts chapter 10, which we talked about several weeks ago. Remember Cornelius, the first Gentile that accepts Christ, he and his whole family believe and are baptized. And then there's only other, one other time I could think of, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. Paul is speaking, and he says that he baptized the household of Stephanus. So the fact that this only, has ha only as far as I know, can, has happened five times in the Bible, and happens three times in two chapters, to me it seems important. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take three observations about these three baptisms of entire families. Um, we're going to do number one and number two, and then we're going to pause to see some baptisms. So before we do that, though, let's pray. God, um, I pray that you'd open our hearts to hear the beautiful thing that comes out of your text today. I pray that you would um, show us who you are and what you're like that you would uh, use your word to penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first observation is really just about baptism in general. 
Um, and, and some of this may be like, yeah, yeah, I already know this. But we also think it's so important that when we do a baptism to explain what is actually happening. And so the first observation that we see is it followed belief. They believed and then they were baptized. It wasn't like they got baptized and then magic water did something, but they believed that something, they believed in who Jesus was, and not just who he was, not just that he died and he rose again, but they believed that, that he passed over their sins, that they were forgiven. They believed that they were redeemed, that they were adopted as sons and daughters in that moment. They believed that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit, given inheritance. They were a new creation in Christ. The old was gone and the new has come. And so in, the, in that moment, before they get baptized, they believe. So they believe, and then they get baptized. That's one observation. The second observation is it's done publicly. So it's done before a group of people, and it's done kind of as a symbol as what has already happened. So in that, they believed. And when they believed, they believed that, that they had died. Their old self had died. Sin, they are forgiven. They, they, they've died. And they've come up as a new creation in Christ. And so observation number one is belief, then baptism. Observation number two was public, and it was to identify themselves with Jesus. It was done as a symbol that they had died and they had risen again in Christ. Another thing that, that we see um, oftentimes, um, there's, if you ever go to a bunch of different churches and listen to what they believe about baptism, you'll see a lot of different things. Some people believe in sprinkling, some people believe in immersion, and you see all these different things. And the reason why we baptize the way that we do here through immersion is because we believe that this person, they died. It's no longer them that lives. They died and they have been buried, and now they come up in Christ. They come up as a new creation in Christ. And so, um, and, and, but really, we see that with Jesus, right? When Jesus got baptized, it says that he came out of the water, and when he did, a dove landed on his shoulder. And so, observations about baptism is it follows belief, it's public to, um, to show what has already happened, and it identifies them as part of the family of God. It's this beautiful picture of what baptism is. And oftentimes, if you read through the Bible, it's done almost immediately after belief. You believe and are baptized. You see it all throughout the book of Acts. They believe and they were baptized. They believe and they were baptized. And, and the other day, there was a group of guys together, and one of them said, hey, you never see anybody that doesn't get baptized right away. And someone else who was in the room said, uh, what about the thief on the cross? And it's like, oh, okay. Most of the time, you see people get baptized right away. And it is. That's what you see throughout the Bible. But I don't know if you're like me. When I accepted Christ, I, I believed. But there was something about standing up in front of a group of people and getting in water that I kind of almost didn't feel like it was necessary or I wasn't sure if I should do that or if that would be weird or awkward or if I'd be embarrassed or if, if I was willing to say before all of these people, the old Brian is dead and the new one is in Christ. And it took months of me wrestling with do I do this? When do I do this? How do I do this? And, but eventually I did. And so, um, but that baptism, it follows belief. And oftentimes throughout the Bible, it's immediate. It's an act of obedience, of displaying that you want to follow Jesus, displaying that something has already happened in your life. The second observation, when the fact that people get baptized along with their entire families, is that the people who believed wanted their family members to know the truth. 
But, you, but I think we get that, right? Like, for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have a relationship with Christ, those of us who God has saved and redeemed, like, we, we, we feel like something is so cool that has happened, we want to tell people, especially those that we love and those that we care about. So we go out of our ways to tell other people. We want to plant seeds that they may hurt, hear and learn about Jesus. We want to water those seeds. And you see that throughout the Bible. When Andrew hears about Jesus, what does he do? He immediately goes and he tells his brother Peter. When Philip hears about Jesus, what does he do? The first thing he does, he immediately goes to his family member, his brother Nathaniel. We see a woman at the well. She believes in Jesus, and what does she do? She immediately runs and she tells the whole city. And we see this throughout that people who have been redeemed, who've been changed, they want people to know. They want their family to know. In fact, if you read through the Bible, you know that not only um, do we want that, but we, like, that's what we like, kind of live for, right? Like even in, in Proverbs chapter 2, it says parents should train the, their child in the way that they should go so at the, in the end they will not turn from it. So like we get that, right? As those of us who are followers of Christ and our parents, like we desire that our kids know the truth. And so we begin speaking to them even at an early age. You know, a baby who, who can't speak and you're still reading books about who Jesus is to him because we, we get that. We want our family members to know who this Jesus is. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says that, that we should teach the word to our children, talk to them while they sit down, while they lie down, when they rise, we should bind it on their hand, put it on the frontlets of their eyes, put it on our doorposts, our gates. We who are followers of Jesus, we, we want the people that we love to know about this Jesus. We, we desire that our family members would hear this good news. But not only do we want them to hear the good news when I'm here, hear it from us, but we also want them to hear it from other people. And so oftentimes we get involved in a local church or in a house church because we want other people to say the same types of things to our kids. We, we want our family members to know this Jesus. We get that. That's what's happening in this text. But I think um, your family not only gets to hear it from you, but your family gets to see it in you. And Kevin, two weeks ago when he was preaching, he, he said this, that, that either people will get to see you representing Christ or they will see you misrepresenting Christ. And I don't know about you, but the people who live with me, they get to see the best of me and they get to see the worst of me. They see me when I'm selfish. The, every day. Shane just whispered every day to, to Sarah. That's true. That is very true. I am definitely very selfish. Um, hang on one second. Mm. Oh, man. Yes, they, they see us when we're selfish. They see when we're angry. Do you ever see me angry? Of course. They see when you're prideful or when you're envious of other people, when you're coveting. They, they, they see it all, right? And so when we, when we are a follower of Jesus, like we want those, the family members to know Jesus. We want them to hear the good news. We want them to see the good news even in us. And in the text, I feel certain that these three people whose entire families believe and are baptized, they want their family members to see this truth. Well, today we're going to um, pause on the sermon and we're going to celebrate baptism the baptism of two different people that heard the good news through their family. Here, the, we're going to see them get baptized, people who, who heard it from their family but saw it in them. 
And now those two that are going to get baptized today, they want to publicly identify themselves with Jesus. They want to say, something has happened in my life, and the old me has died, and I am a new creation in Christ. And so today, we're going to pause on the sermon, and we are going to um, watch as two people get baptized. I am excited to get so everyone you know, that I love and want to follow Jesus. Jesus is in my um, video. Very good. Weston um, has been talking about being baptized since um, Michael was baptized. And um, I think through house church and through coming here and He's joined Impact. Um, he's just really come to know the Lord, and he's um, very excited to do this today. So we're glad that you're here to witness it. All right, get up. We're going to uh, go ahead and pray for Weston, so if you would, pray with us. Now, Father, we thank you for for Weston, for his heart, Lord. We know that uh, there's probably not a person here who hasn't uh, been touched by Weston, who hasn't seen just the joy, the positivity, um, again, just the joy that you've given him. And so, Lord, today we thank you that you have done a work in his heart, that he has decided to, to follow you, not only to follow you, but to, as Brian said, publicly declare that he is following you, Lord. And we pray over him today, that as he begins this walk, Lord, we pray that you would just go with him. We pray that you would protect him, that you would uh, form a hedge around him. God, you tell us that uh, when we believe that we receive your Holy Spirit, that we receive forgiveness, that we receive access to the throne of grace. And so, God, I pray that Weston would just always know, even in the times of temptation, uh, in the times when things get difficult, Lord, that he would know that you walk with him, that you're not a God who, who says yes to us and then walks away, but Lord, you're a God who said yes to us before the foundations of the world. And so, Lord, we pray today that Weston would just know that he is so loved, he is so cherished, God, and he would know that he has been forgiven. And I pray that he would go out and he would tell that good news to all the people that he knows. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask my daughter Chloe to come up here. Um, so a few months ago, a few months ago, sounds about right, I came home from work one day and uh, Chloe was very upset and she was, the, our kids are kind of always upset when, we come, when I come home from work, but <laughs> for some reason that day I just felt like I should stop and talk to her and uh, I sat down and she said that she was, um, she was very scared and that she was that someone was talking to her. And as she described this, uh, as she went on 
I started to feel like maybe this was spiritual warfare. And so I just said, Chloe, I think, you know, I think this might be spiritual warfare. And I explained a little bit about what that was to her. And I said, when the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, there's no room for anybody else. And so um, I explained a very, very basic version of who the Holy Spirit is. And I reminded her of who Jesus was. And I think she already knew. Um, and I said, do you want that? Do you want the, the safety of the Holy Spirit? And do you want him to fill your heart? And she said, yes. And I, I thought, well, that was easy. But I think she had been ready for a long time. So um, she also had been asking us to be baptized for a long time. And I had been holding off letting her do that because I didn't, I wasn't sure she was ready. I wasn't sure she understood what it was. And to be honest, I kind of been holding off on talking to her about the gospel too much because I wasn't sure she was old enough to understand. But that night I, I knew that she was. And I, um, Amanda's voice was uh, in my head that night too. She said to me for a lot of years with, with Jada and Chloe, um, do not let, let the children come to me. Do not stop them. That's what Jesus said. And so um, it's a fine balance with kids, but I think Chloe was ready. And so, Chloe, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Why don't you talk into the mic? Yep, that one. That one right here. Chloe, why do you want to get baptized today? Because Jesus, um, he... I brought him into my heart. That's right. And he fills you up, right? Mm-hmm. And he saved you, right? He saved, you, he saved me from sin. And do you want to follow him the rest of the days of your life? Mm-hmm. And do you understand that you used to be able to do whatever you wanted with your life, and now you have to do what he wants you to do with your life? Okay. So, um... We also noticed that Chloe uh, really understands things through music. And Amanda noticed she had been walking around the house singing this song for um, four or five days or weeks. I don't know. They're always, they're always singing in our house. And uh, so we decided we would have Chloe come and sing this song for you guys. Chloe, ready to lead everybody? What? Are you ready to lead everybody? Uh-huh. All right. Why don't you guys stand and sing with us? How is he going to follow that? Um, that was a tremendous error in judgment on my part. Um, no one's going to want to listen to me after that. Um, there's a third observation that I had in that text. So one, it was about baptism. Two, it was that they desired that their families would be baptized. But the, the third, that it doesn't just start with your family. I mean, it's, it might start with your family, but it doesn't end with your family. 
What I mean by that is um, I think that we can feel this heart to go and tell the people that we love about Jesus and want to stop there. And the more I kept thinking about that, the more I started, just to be honest, thinking of my own life. I started thinking that it's, all, it's um, much harder to share with people that maybe you don't love, maybe people you don't like, people that you're not comfortable with, people who are different than you. I can, if I'm honest, say that there's often times where I think things like, you know what, I really already know enough people. I really don't want to know anymore. <laughs> I'm sure they think the same thing when they see me coming, too. I can think, you know, if I, if I reach out to this person at work or this person on the street, or w- will they want something from me, and do I have any more to give? I can think... I just don't want them to ask me for something. I can hold back or keep quiet or steer away from people. And I I think we all do that. And I think that when we do that, what we're kind of saying is that they don't deserve to hear the good news of Jesus. But when I was thinking about this, I was thinking that's not how our God is. You see, for me, I start thinking through what if they don't listen? What if they won't hear? What if they don't like me because of what I said? What if they treat me differently? I can, I can go through all of those different things, but that's not what God was like. If we really think about that, what, what happens? Like, we're, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, the, the birth of Jesus. And in that, the shepherds come. And what do the shepherds say? The shepherds say, There's, we come to bring good news of great joy for all people. Savior Christ is born. You see, Jesus doesn't just come for the people that he loves. He comes for his enemies. Jesus doesn't just come um, for some. He comes because he so loves the world. He, he desires that all will be saved. Once he ascends into heaven, he will draw all people to himself. Like, like Jesus doesn't just come for the specific ones that he loves. He doesn't just come. He comes for everyone. It, you know, that in the Bible it says that greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for his friends, right? But it's while we were his enemies that he died for us. While we were sinners, he doesn't just go to the specific ones. You know, he goes to Jews and to Gentiles. Remember, he doesn't show any partiality. He goes to tax collectors and sinners. He goes not to the healthy, but to the sick. When we see Jesus, it's, he doesn't just go after the good ones, There's no one who is good, no, not one. All have fallen short. All have turned to their own way. But it's yet while we were sinners that Jesus died for us. He doesn't come for those who are close by, but for those who are far off. And I think that if we're honest, we often go after the people that we love, not the people that we don't people who are enemies or the people who are still yet sinners, we can almost say, well, that person, they're so far gone, there's no way they're ever going to come to know the Lord. And I was one that people said, there's no way. But God saw it fit to send people to share this good news with me and to rescue me from my sin. 
Jesus doesn't come for just the ones he loves. He doesn't come to share just when it's convenient or when it's comfortable. That's me, right? right? Like when, when it's comfortable, I'll share Jesus. When it's convenient, I'll share Jesus. But, but Jesus came, and when it was uncomfortable, when it was inconvenient, he shares. He even leaves the 99 to go after the one. Jesus doesn't come only if it won't cost him anything. He comes knowing that there'll be no place for him to lay his head. Jesus comes and he's beaten. He's mocked. He's ridiculed and he's put on a cross. And yet while he's on the cross, he says, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This Jesus comes even though it costs him his life. It costs him his blood. He left the comforts of heaven to come to a people who didn't want him, who would yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and yet he would die as a substitute for them that he might taste death for everyone. You see, when I, when I read through this text, I see all of these different things. I see the observation of what is baptism really about. I see this observation that the people really wanted their family to know Jesus, but, I, but it goes so much further than that. It goes further than that to show us that Jesus is not just a God. He doesn't just come to earth for some, but he comes for all, not just for his friends, but for his enemies. When this Jesus comes, we see something powerful. We see that while it might start with our family, us sharing the good news with people, it might start with our family, it does not end there. It can't end there. That's not how it ended with Jesus. And that's not how the early church did it. And think about this. If the early church was focused specifically on sharing the message of Jesus just with their families, this text doesn't happen. We don't read about Lydia. We don't read about the jailer. We don't read about... Crispus, the synagogue ruler. Why? Because Paul and Silas would not have gone out to share this message with anyone who would listen. We wouldn't be here. Few of us in this room, I think, are Jewish, of Jewish descent. And if we're not of Jewish descent, then if this message doesn't go out beyond just the family, then we never hear it. You see, it might start with our family, but it shouldn't end there. That's not how our God did it. That's not how the early church did it. And that's not how we were called to do it. Jesus didn't say, go and make disciples of your family. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, go and be witnesses to those who you find comfortable to be around. He says, go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And if, if you're like me, we can, I, can, I can treat this like it's an either or. Like either I'm going to share it with the people that I know well, or I'm not going to spend time with them because I'm going to be spending all my time sharing it with other people. But it's not an either or, it's a both. Like we should be willing and able and, and, and working towards sharing this good news with anyone and everyone. And I confess to you that I am so guilty of that. So question, th these questions really are for me that you get to hear. And I think that they'll probably hit home to you as well. When we really think about what Jesus was like, and that he came for all people, I think it should do something in us. And so what it did in me is made me ask myself these questions. When was the last time I shared the story of Jesus saving me with someone. When was the last time I 
told someone that was different than me about Jesus. And not on a Sunday morning. You know, I think that sometimes that's super hard for us to do. And so, okay, even let's just let's make it even a step easier. When was the last time you told somebody about that you go to church? And then they might say, Well, why do you go to church? I hate church is stupid. And it just opens this door. But when I look through this text, I see three things that jumped out clearly to me. One, it's just about baptism. Two is that these people love their families, and that's good. We we get that. And we should want to disciple our children. We should want to bring them up in the knowledge of the Lord. But it, it, while it starts with our family, it cannot end there. That's not how Jesus did it. And when we look to him and we see that he loved all people, that he came even for a wretched sinner like me, I think it should do something in us. My hope and my prayer is that we have more days where something like this happens, where we have these people getting baptized. And I love to see people get baptized. And I love so much when we see someone who isn't even associated with anyone from a family perspective here. Because it points to who Jesus is and what he's like, that he's an adopting father. I'm going to end with this. Um, in, um, in Philippians, excuse me, not in Philippians, Philip in Acts, Philip the eunuch, he believes and he says, see, look, there's water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And he jumps down off the chariot or whatever he's on and they go, boom, they go get baptized. Um, I don't know how many of you live in Miamisburg, but water in Miamisburg is not cheap. Is it? <laughs> Side sermon, we got a $3,000 water bill. It was an error, but we got a $3,000 water bill recently. We knew water was expensive. We didn't realize it was that expensive. But my point is, is this. When we fill up this tub here, we want to use it. And so when Philip the eunuch, he had believed in Jesus, and he said, what prevents me from getting baptized? There was nothing. So if you are here today and you feel like God is putting it on your heart that you should be baptized, um, there's water in the tank. You might say, well, I didn't bring towels. I think Keith brought some extras. You might say, well, I don't have a change of clothes. That's all right. You can go home wet. Um, we, we've, I don't know when we first started saying this when we had baptisms happen here, but we decided to say it at one point. And one of the times, a girl jumped up and said, I know I need to get baptized. Can I get in there right now? And she went home soaking wet. At least it's 60, it's going to be 60 today, so it's a nicer day than it could have been. But for real, um, if you feel like God is putting on your heart that today's a day when you want to get baptized, um, we can make that happen. So we're going to continue to worship the Lord, the Lord who it is that came for all people. Um, and let's just worship him for who he is and be reminded because of who he is, that should do something in us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love, for your grace, for the ways that while we had nothing to offer you, while we were your enemies, while we were far off, 
you sent your son. And God, I confess to you, and I know others in this room that we have been redeemed, we have been set free, we have been rescued, and yet we still can so easily and quickly turn back to things contrary to the things of you. And we can condemn ourselves. God, we know that your word tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God, we know that your love shows no partiality. And so, God, I pray the rest of our time today that we would just bask in the love that you have for us. And God, I do just pray that if there's anyone that you are working on, that you desire to see them get baptized today, that you would give them the courage to come up front and just ask. And God, I um, just pray that we would truly recognize who you are and what you have done and that the rest of the time today we would just worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.